Father, we thank you for the rains that replenish the earth and cleanse it. We thank you for that as a picture of your grace, uh, replenishing us in the life of faith and cleansing us um, that we might grow to be more like Christ. And we thank you that um, those great works are accomplished by your spirit through the word and that we can look forward this evening to your word having that good effect uh, upon us as we continue in this study of the farewell discourse of our Lord. We thank you for Dr. Ferguson and pray that you would bless him in his labors. And we ask all of this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, um, tonight we take up uh, the true vine. Um, Dr. Ferguson lays the matter out uh, before us in two parts. The first part, uh, an examination of uh, who I am, and in particular, related to that, the vine image and the doctrine of union with Christ. And then the second part are the principles that follow from the vine image, taken up in four elements, the source of fruitfulness, the pruning of the Father, the nourishment of the Word, and the priority of love. It's a wonderfully rich uh, chapter, um, and I hope we'll have a good discussion of it. But let me begin by reading uh, John 15, 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so, so that you will love one another. So here we uh, come to um, one of the most powerful images in Christ's teaching in John, uh, a passage that Dr. Ferguson notes is very familiar and much loved, and uh, that um, you, you could have many books written just on this topic, uh, and uh, especially theologies of the Christian life uh, built on the theme of abiding in Christ. I want to note here straight away the interesting thing that um, horticulture, a feature of the created order, is so extraordinarily adapted uh, to um, help us to understand spiritual things. And I think it's interesting just to start off by asking, why is that so? How did it come about? Is it an accident? Is it 
is just that Jesus is very clever and creative and uh, um, finding things to illustrate his themes um, because of his pedagogical excellence. Um, the Puritans didn't think so. The Puritans thought that, in fact, this was a remarkable insight into creation itself, that God had created the world deliberately uh, to provide what Edwards called images and shadows of divine things. Throughout his whole life, he kept a notebook identifying what he thought those images and shadows were, meditating upon nature and all its variety, uh, and seeing ways in which nature itself illustrated or reinforced or embodied in some way uh, spiritual principles. And thus, the concrete things around us were all capable of being powerful supports to the spiritual realities. And in fact, Edwards would argue the more ultimate realities. So there are vines, but you'll notice Jesus says, I am the true vine, that the... the that he is the embodiment of what vineness in the created order was all about. And uh, I, I think that's remarkable. Um, Edwards notes that the things of this world are ordered and designed to shadow forth spiritual things. And that can be a great encouragement to us to, as we come on this teaching of Jesus to uh, follow his pattern of uh, observing the world and seeing illustrated, reinforced, embodied in a variety of ways the truths of God's word. Uh, it can tra transform your uh, way of experiencing the world, that it all becomes part of helping you uh, grow in Christ. Well, with that said, um, the um, uh, here we have this extended metaphor um, where he is the vine, there the disciples are the branches, the father is the vine dresser, uh, and the goal is that they would bear much fruit. Um, the um, And in this image, uh, in relationship to bearing much fruit, there are two elements he identifies as crucial, union with Christ first, and then the pruning by the father. Um and he goes from there to ask the question, what's the most uh, um, common way that uh, Christians are referred to in the New Testament? And, of course, we think straight away of, as Christian, but he notes that's only used three times in that fashion. Uh, and probably all three times, or at least two, it, it's, it was originally meant in a rather derogatory fashion, uh, which shouldn't surprise us. It happens all the time with names. Uh, uh, when I hear the word Puritan, I think of something wonderful and courageous and uh, insightful. But it was meant as a, a uh, derogatory term. Um, the uh, that they were uh, those who wanted to be hyper pure um, in uh, all the parts of the Reformation of the Church, and so too fundamentalist. It, fundamentalist was originally a term of. Uh, and this is going the other direction, it was originally a term that uh, uh, had great dignity and so on. The fundamentalists uh, were uh, centered in the northeastern part of the country, in great halls of academia, in the, in the great seminaries and so on. And these were uh, very bright, very educated people defending the fundamental elements of the gospel against German higher criticism, which was creeping in and undermining the scripture. But over the course of the controversy, so the, the, the books that fundamentalism take their name were a series of books called The Fundamentals. Almost every one of them was written by a world-class scholar. B.B. Uh, Warfield wrote one of the volumes of The Fundamentals. And, uh, but then in the course of the controversy, the, the center of gravity shifted from the northeast to the southeast and uh, midwest. And uh, by that time, the term came to be very much a term of derision uh, and uh, mocking. Um, but in any case, that's what happens with these things. Uh, but uh, Dr. Uh, Ferguson notes that the most common way in which 
Christians refer to themselves or to others as those who are in Christ or in him. Or, uh, and he notes this is about 200 times in the New Testament. Um, union with Christ, uh, he insists on page 108, is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Um, uh, and he had been, last time he, he was explaining how the Spirit w- would indwell them uh, and uh, that that would lead to a mutual indwelling, you and me and I and you, um, so that we have the very Spirit of Christ. This, uh, he says, must have seemed strange to the disciples, uh, but Jesus, and especially in our chapter tonight, is going to help them understand the meaning and the implications of that great doctrine of mutual indwelling. So, then, who who am I? How, how do I think about myself? And the point is that um, the great truth for the believer is that they think of themselves as one united to Jesus. Um, when we first come to know the gospel, perhaps, um, our primary sense of ourselves is that we are needy. We're sinners. We're in need of salvation. But uh, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, that is never lost. But something far more powerful uh, we come to understand And that is that we're not only pardoned, we're not only being renewed, but we have this extraordinary new identity. Uh, We're a new creation in Christ. This is rooted in the Old Testament um, background uh, that um, Dr. Ferguson brings to our attention, that Israel was thought of as the vine of God. Um, And... uh, you can see the vine imagery. It was part of the decoration of the Testament. But Jesus' use of it is to show the disciples about the new reality that the Spirit uh, creates. So um, the, uh, he, he wants the disciples to see the events and circumstances of their life as all part of God's viticulture. Um, and... Uh, So the several principles that follow from this. Uh, On page uh, 110, we begin the source of fruitfulness. And that is that the branches depend upon the vine uh, if they're to be fruitful, uh, if they're to have proper life in them. And we've just had a very powerful illustration of this truth uh, as the cicadas laid their eggs in branches all over. Uh, and you would see that the part that, uh, because of the cicada cutting in and breaking it off, um, trees covered with the ends of limbs dead and simply hanging. Um, and it was like it was this magnificent uh, mural of the reality that if the uh, branch isn't in touch with the main part of the vine. There's not going to be any life in it. Um, the, um, but, of course, then, uh, in touch with the vine, uh, properly uh, connected, we have resources from the vine. And um, uh, Dr. Ferguson notes that these resources are infinite. They make the believer capable, finally, of coping with anything. Uh, This is a great example of the Apostle Paul. I know how to live uh, with wealth. I know how to be in poverty. I know how to be uh, admired and exalted. I know humiliation. But um, And all of this is in Christ. Uh, He makes it possible for me to, in fact, bear fruit. Um, The... Um, and I thought it would be uh, helpful there, uh, if we got clearly in mind what this fruit is. And it is a very, very broad category. It is whatever is in response to prayer in Jesus' name and is to the Father's glory 
including obedience to Jesus's commands, the experience of Jesus's joy, and love for one another, and witness to the world. I think that's a, a, a very able summarization of the idea of fruit uh, that uh, Dr. Ferguson is explained to us. And um, the um, point is that uh, apart from me, we need to have the conviction that, as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that we realize that the necessity of abiding in Christ. Um, On page 111, he asks, what does that mean in detail? And you'd have to have a whole book uh, on the matter to explain it properly. But uh, we can get enough here for our purposes to say that to abide in Christ, this is on the first paragraph of 111, means to live with a sense that the Son of God loves us, gave himself for us, that he dwells within us by his Holy Spirit, and that we know that our life is now his and no longer our own. That's a beautiful uh, statement of it, summarizing the abiding that he has in view. Um, all of the resources embodied in him uh, are ours now, and our life is to draw on them. And he urges us that, in fact, we need to remind ourselves of that matter, matter frequently um, in order to see that grow uh, in it, within us. Um, and it's true not only with respect to every believer in terms of his own self-understanding, but it's important then that that be, uh, um, uh, become part of our sensibility of other Christians, that that's the way we think about brothers and sisters in Christ, that they are those whom the Son of God loves. He gave himself for them. He dwells within them by the Holy Spirit. And they are no longer their own, but they belong to the Lord. And so that we're, um, as it were, treating the property of the Lord, and we'd better treat that property well um, uh, in the way that we care for one another. So it's a very, very powerful um, way of thinking about ourselves uh, that has the capacity, if we embrace it, of being transformative with respect to um, who we are and the fellowship that we live in in Christ in this world. Well, let me stop there. Questions, comments, reflections on any of this thus far? All right, let's turn, uh, this is on page 111, uh, under the heading, The Pruning of the Father. Um, This is uh, the um, area where uh, we see what belongs to the natural world is crucial to the spiritual world, Um, that vine dressers prune their vines. Um, The... uh, uh, that is, they cut the plant back, but they cut the plant b- back not to destroy it, but to make it stronger, to make it more fruitful. Um, uh, if, if it's looked on from the outside, if you don't know anything about it, you, you see the um, folks go into the fields to trim the grapes and you see what's left. Have you ever seen uh, grape arbors a- after the pruning for the prepared for the next season? It looks like they've destroyed the thing, uh, all chopped and bare, and no longer the lush leaves and all of that. I, I uh, let me take a moment to give you the most pungent illustration of this in my own life. When Jenny and I uh, moved into the place we came to call Berea. A study center that we ran out on 300 acres in uh, uh, halfway between uh, Washington and Annapolis. It was a big old farmhouse. Um, the original house had been an 18th century home, and it had a great porch across the front. Uh, and the entryway to the porch, however, was on the east side of the house, coming up from where there was a, a parking area. And there was um, 
foliage and a garden all, all along the porch in, in the front and off to the side. And uh, just to the side of the entryway steps, um, I found uh, what was startling to me. I'd never seen a plant like it before. It was um, three uh, sticks about yay wide going up out of the ground, all obviously part of one thing. No branches, no nothing, just sticks. And it's six or seven feet tall. And I pulled on it, and for every indication, it seemed to me that it was just dead. Um, and there were a lot of things that were overgrown out there. There was kudzu all over the place. We had a magnificent battle with kudzu. But I just figured that this was some dead thing that no, nobody paid attention to. We were renting this property. Um, and uh, so I got my saw out, and I cut, cut it off almost at the... Uh, uh, ground. I was leaving a little bit because I intended to dig the roots out and I wanted something to pull on. Well, the owners came out about a week later and uh, the there were an elderly couple, uh, both somewhat aristocratic. Uh, her uh, kin was uh, uh, President uh, Adams direct line, and uh, he's, his name was Paige Bowie Claggett, and if you know anything about Prince George's County, the, the first uh, uh, Episcopal uh, bishop in this country was a Claggett, and uh, of course Bowie is another huge name out there. So they, they park and get out, and all of a sudden I hear this terrible wailing, and it's Mrs. Claggett, and she's, she's holding her heart, and he's holding her up, and she's saying, what have you done? What have you done? <laughs> Who chopped down my crepe myrtle? <laughs> I, I came right out of the house, and when I realized what was going on, I said, I don't even know what a crepe myrtle is. And she pointed to the, the deathly attack on that poor, what I thought was dead plant. And she just hardly could get over it. I thought they were going to kick us out of the place that day. But finally she calmed down, and uh, that was that. Well, six months later, there was the most lush and beautiful bush growing out of that poor mauled thing. <laughs> the pruning had done enormous things for the health of that plant. It was all spindly like that because nobody had ever pruned it properly. And, and it, it had the beautiful, lush, flourishing, uh, but smaller <laughs> bush. And I, I thought it was a miracle myself. But the, um, that, that is in, indelibly imprinted on my mind as uh, an illustration of the importance of pruning. Well, that's what um, uh, Jesus is getting on about here. That the uh, if you don't understand what the vine dresser is doing, uh, you're, you're going to think he's being destructive. But in fact, because he knows the nature of what is necessary for proper growth and strength in a plant, he prunes it in order for it to be strengthened. Now, th this... Uh, of course, is being applied to us, that God, our Father, is pruning us uh, in order for us to be made stronger and fruitful. The point uh, that we have to face is that, the, of course, the plant doesn't feel any pain in the pruning, but we feel pain. And because we know this, it doesn't mean the pain goes away. We know it's for our good. Uh, we know that it'll make us stronger. We know that it'll make us more fruitful. But it doesn't relieve the pain in and of itself, and it doesn't solve all of the mystery of God's providence. Um, and it can seem hurtful and even wet, wasteful. Um, the, um, but Dr. Um, Ferguson gives us this extraordinary um, lesson from Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India. Um, 
uh, and a, a quote from hers on page 113 at the top. What prodigal waste it appears to be to see scattered on the floor the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp knife. But with a tried and trusted husbandman, there is not a random stroke in it at all. Nothing cut away, which would not have been a loss to keep and gain to lose. What an extraordinary sentence that last is. Nothing cut away, which it would not have been a loss to keep and gain to lose. Uh, And so she prayed, rid me, good Lord, of every diverting thing. Um, Our vine dresser uh, um, never makes a mistake, never is a cut wasted. Um, This is the uh, wonder of this pruning. And um, so sometimes in frustration we might ask, Uh, Why doesn't God give me the perfect husband, the perfect children, the perfect boss, the perfect employees? And the answer is the Lord's pruning. Only in the face of these challenges will fruit be born. J.C. Ryle put it this way, By trial, God calls calls out our passive graces. You, You see, we have graces that are potential. They're in a sincere form. They're passive. And it's in relationship to the trial that those graces are actualized, are put into effect and not just potential. So the Lord is not so much interested in uh, whether you get to work on time as he is to have you learn the lessons of the traffic jam. Uh, In that case, your character will be fruitful in the graces of your favor. So we ought not to murmur and complain with this pruning, but rather in vital union with Christ uh, to learn to be patient and to trust that it is for strength and fruitfulness. Um, Well, that's the first. Let's pause there. Thoughts, reflections. um, How many of you are horticulturalists? Not too many. Well, it's a good thing we can at least uh, have the theory of it. Uh, you had me, Dave, at uh, traffic jam. <laughs> right. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yep. Yep. All right. That'll be every time for me. <laughs> oh, well, you should keep a little plant in your car. Uh, and w- whenever you're stopped in uh, a, an irrational configuration of cars, you should prune that plant a little bit. <laughs> so there is something good that comes from traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Great point. Anybody else uh, a thought or... All right, let's turn to nourishment of the word. Um, A third principle um, that uh, it's Christ's word that is at work. It's not us simply ourselves being at work. That's the contrast that Dr. Ferguson has mentioned. Um, He's already explained the meaning of our Lord saying in 15.3, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Uh, This would be a word about uh, believing in him and that he would be their savior. And it's uh, the uh, objective justifying word that they're um, uh, made right with God by Jesus. But that word has more to do now because it's a transformative word. Uh, If they're to grow in grace, uh, there has to be room for the word of Christ to work in them. Um, 
And so this is a crucial part of abiding in Christ. Um, to love, to learn from the word and to see it have its good effect. Um, the uh, And you think of the Apostle Paul's way of putting it, um, different f- metaphor, but uh, just as strong. Uh, that is that... Um, he insists that as you received Jesus Christ, so walk in him, in Colossians chapter 2 at 6. But walking is a metaphor. What does it mean to walk in Christ? And he explains it more literally in 3.16. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, uh, the, the word of Christ indwelling us the, the spirit of Christ indwelling us. And that combination then puts the word to work in the transformation of our lives. Um, and um, the uh, he, Dr. Ferguson says, let it, let it bring light into your mind. Let it warm your affections for Christ. Let it subdue your will to his. And then this wonderfully comprehensive sentence, this is on page 114, third paragraph down, a wonderful sentence. The word of Christ is the instrument of Christ used by the spirit of Christ to nurture union with Christ and to transform us into the image of Christ. That is just a remarkable sentence. Uh, The whole perfectly compressed uh, uh, p- perfectly modulated parts in relation one to another. Uh, you can see the beauty of it, I hope. Um, and in this way, then, uh, we are transformed into the image of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Um, the, uh, then uh, Dr. Ferguson wants to contrast this to what he calls an invisible dis- disease in the Christian's bloodstream and uh, the um, it's to reduce Christianity to I listen to what I uh, is preached um, and then I go and do it and that's all there is to it Um, but Dr. Ferguson is pleading for the idea that you have to be looking for the word to do its work in you we are sanctified by the truth uh, as uh, the scripture says. Um, the, um, and that's the fundamental element. Uh, we are to be putting forth effort, but our effort is the fruit of the word of God, uh, having free course in us, as, he, uh, as Paul says to the, the believers at Corinth, I think. Um, the word of God, um, you remember how he spoke to the Thessalonians, uh, that is at work in you who believe, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. Uh, and here, just this is why it's so important to be regularly seated under the ministry of the word, uh, that that word uh, might dwell richly within you, that it would be reinforced and that we won't become uh, anemic, that is, on a spiritual diet that just simply cannot nurture Christian health. Uh, And he wants us to avoid that. Um, um, A a summary I put together some time ago uh, in uh, this matter um, might be helpful to you. We are called to abide... And there are four elements. We are called to abide in Christ. We're called to abide by faith. We're called to abide through the Spirit. And we're called to abide with respect to the Word. Called to abide in Christ by faith through the Spirit with respect to the Word. And uh, the Scriptures are rich in reinforcing that idea. And especially with respect... uh, to John's literature, um, and uh, especially as 
in, in John's epistles. So, um, abiding by faith, uh, 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is God, God abides in him and he in God. Um, this is a corollary to what Paul says in Ephesians 3.17 when he uh, prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's through the Spirit. Uh, 1 John 3.24 By this we know that he abides in us because of the Spirit who he's given us. 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because of his Spirit. And 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And that with respect to the word. 1 John 2, 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, that you have heard from the if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son, and in the Father. And in two John one nine, everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So that's a kind of a summary compilation of the. Uh, principal points we've been talking about. Um, let me pause there. Comment, question, reflection? Yes. Um, uh, David, even back to 115, please, page 115, the central lesson. Growth in holiness involves our doing what God, God's Word tells us. But more fundamental than our doing God's word is what God's word is doing to us. Okay, so how could you say a few words more about how would we know that God's word is actually at work in us? Yes. And that it's not us doing God's word. Because um, that seems to me a little easier, although a little easier to discern to discern that, that we are actually doing God's word. We may delude ourselves that we're, yes. that we're good at doing, you know, that we're doing well in, in, in what we do in God's word. But how would we know what God's word is doing to us? Right. How would, experience yeah. that, how would we discern and, and, and discern the difference? Good point. Um, I think the key would be whenever... Um, I feel like I'm the subject of something and not the agent of something. So, for example, uh, coming under conviction of sin. When that happens, I feel like I'm subject to something. Something has come, caught my conscience, I become active, but the first movement of it is that it's, it's something has been done to me. I've been brought to a place where I see my sin, I feel guilt, I, uh, uh, and remorse, and, and so on. Um, again, uh, when um, I, I suddenly understand something that I hadn't understood before, I have the feeling of being subject to the light going on. Um, and where uh, I see something properly in relationship to another. I, uh, the feeling that I have, if I'm uh, listening carefully to myself, is that uh, something has been done to me in some way. Uh, sometime uh, I suddenly have a, a joy in Christ that just has come over me, and I feel like I'm... So, you know, being acted on, that I am an actor in it, but that my action is a response to something. Do those illustrations help? To yes, they do, Dave. Thank you. Great. That's a good. I'm glad you raised that. I'm the subject of something that 
from the outside that is happening to me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that the word is the is the 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 actor in it. It's in, in the di- different ways. And in fact, uh, let me see if I can uh, find this quickly. I don't want to take too much time. I, I wish I'd have thought of it beforehand, but. Um, um, cooperating with me. Um, um, this is Confession of Faith uh, 14. It's the chapters entitled Of Saving Faith. And I think here, it, this is a wonderful description of um, the word at work in us. Uh, by this faith, the Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself speaking therein and acting, acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises of God for this life, and that which is to come. Uh, so you, you see that the word is acted, and, and my, I'm responsive by faith to the different ways in which the, the word addresses me. And of course, they could go on uh, at great length. Um, but then they say the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. You see, those are all, uh, as it were, uh, those are all words where I'm subject, accepting, receiving, resting. Um, So I I think, you know, it's as broad as could be the, the answer to that. But it's being sensitive to the idea that that's the word at work on me, and then I'm by faith, responding in the, the appropriate ways. Thank you, Dave. Any other th- thought? Yes, please. Um, I wanted to um, just uh, build on that a little more. Um, I, From what you were reading there, um, it also stated that it yielded obedience. And I just find that when the Spirit is working in me, I am... Um, willingly obedient. Mm, wonderful, yes. Versus mm, sort of begrudgingly <laughs> obedient because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Gritting your teeth <laughs> obedience. Right for me, right? <laughs> yeah. Versus, um, yes. A conviction of the Spirit and, and the Spirit working in me. So there is a difference there. That oh, yeah. Yeah. From an obedience standpoint yep. as well. Great point. And in fact, you know, in, in our passage here, um, Jesus uh, says, I call you my friends. I no longer call you servants. But he's just said um, that uh, if you're my friend, you must obey me. <laughs> so how is that different from a servant? Then a servant have to obey. And the point is, Jesus notes, that the obedience is not the issue. It's the sensibility of the one obeying. Mm-hmm. And now the sensibility, you're saying, is me yielding to my Lord. Or as he puts it, I've told you all that the Father has revealed. And so you understand the purposes of your obedience now. And that draws you into it. And later, I'll say that's why the commandments are not burdensome. That's a great point, Ingrid. Thank you. Thank you. Any other thoughts? 
All right, maybe we better. Oh, we're doing it. Okay. Um, all right, where where are we then? Uh, oh yeah, we're on the stretch. We're in good shape. Um, so the final principle. The, we've had three flowing out of this union with Christ. The one, uh, it's a source of fruitfulness. Uh, two, it's um, involves pruning uh, that we would be strengthened and, and bear fruit. And third, uh, that it needs to be nourished by the word. And then there's the fourth point, and that is uh, the priority of love. This is at the bottom of page 116. Um, the, and he, he leads with uh, the point simply put, the basic fruit that grows in the soil of our union with the Lord Jesus is love. Now, he says this can all sound a little vague. Um, the, um, and the point we just touched on, he, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my commandments and abide in his love. Uh, so true love uh, leads to uh, keeping his commandments. Um, but uh, it's not reducible to that. Um, the, uh, in fact, in a nice point, Dr. Ferguson says, if anything, the reverse is the case because the new measure of our love is this, love one another as I have loved you. Uh, an extraordinary calling. That believers have to mirror the love of Christ that we've enjoyed and to love him and to love others in that same respect. Um, and thus, uh, well, well, the point we just talked about, uh, I think, Ingrid, uh, on page 117 is the point that Dr. Ferguson is making there. Um, and um, so the point is that Jesus promised that this uh, fruit would abide um, and it has uh, it has been abiding and in fact we ourselves are part of that fruit Um, and that's a wonderful uh, in in all the things that we work for in this life um, nothing is abiding except that which Christ by his word and spirit is working in us Um, That is the abiding thing and the thing worth devoting your uh, life to, uh, utterly worthy of it, Um, and that this, in fact, leads to joy. And that's the closing part of uh, our Lord's words, um, that he's spoken these things, that uh, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Um, The... Jonathan Edwards made a wonderful point on this uh, in one of his sermons. He said, Holiness is a man's highest happiness, and sin is his greatest misery. There is nothing else but holiness that can give the mind true peace and joy. And nothing so much disturbs and disorders and troubles the soul and lays a foundation for so much uneasiness and torment as sin. Uh, I I think that is just what our Lord's getting at in this um, passage. Uh, Dr. Ferguson ends with this uh, nice little quandary that there's a little bit of an ambiguity as to how to read 1511, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, He said, uh, does Jesus then mean that he had said these things so the disciples might be the source of his joy? Or did he mean that he would be the source of their joy? Almost certainly the latter, but in fact both are true. Either way, their joy will be full. I thought that's a lovely coda to the whole uh, chapter. Well, we have a few minutes left for... Questions, comments, concerns, um, a rich and wonderful uh, exposition, I think, of that vine imagery. Anyone? Yes. um, 
can you um, remind me of your your or I guess reformed definition of faith or what the scripture says faith is? Well, I think our well, con- I think our confession of faith does an excellent job of uh, defining that. Let me get back to that. Um, the um, because faith has a very broad sense, and then it has a very narrow sense um, in uh, our tr- in the Bible's teaching. Um, so, so let, let me go back to it because I didn't emphasize the first part of it. Um, well, let me just start at the beginning. It's very short. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. So, now, what is it? By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself speaking there. So it's the believing reception of whatever God reveals. That's the broadest sense. And depending on the content of the different parts of Revelation, faith responds appropriately to the content. But then there's the narrow sense of faith, what we call saving faith, and that's the accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone uh, for salvation. We can broadly put the confession identifies all the different parts. And now it notices that this faith can be different in degrees. It can be weak or strong. It may be assailed, and weakened, but it gets the victory, growing up uh, in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who's both the author and finisher of our faith. I think that's a, a wonderfully comprehensive statement of what we're talking about. Does that help? Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, was it last week we were talking about Christ's faith and God? And something is rattling around in my head about <laughs> faith is the hope of things unseen. Oh, that, that, sure, that's Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Can you recite it? Uh, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the something like confidence of things unseen, but don't... Right. Trust my old memory. Let me look it up real quick. Um, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right. Now, that's helpful. Just, um, you know, going through this and thinking about growth in faith, um, it does... As Ferguson has pointed out, it takes time. Yes. We aren't just given all of that when we um, come to Christ. And um, also this joy in obedience uh, takes time. Yes. And that to think of Christ in his human nature struggling with that when he comes to face his death. Yes. And how powerful his statement is, not my will, but thine. And there's a, it seems like there's a part of it that we can't reason it out. You know, we, we want to trust in our own ability to be able to know what it all means or something like that. And there's a, um, there's, as we mature, we grow in Christ, we do come to 
realize that we don't have all of the tools and we don't have all of the information to know everything about God and what he's doing, what he's going to do. And that's where we learn that to trust him does work. Yes, <laughs> right, right, sure. Sure, and, and in fact, then those experiences um, uh, make faith stronger. When I, right. when I see right. that the Lord has provided for me again and again and again, the more I've seen that, the more then my faith is strengthened. Will or Kate? This isn't something that Ferguson talked about, but it's in the passage. Um, he said, if you pray, you know, whatever you pray for, well, I can't. Is he just talking to the apostles there, or is he speaking generally? Well, the crucial thing with at least this portion of it is... Um, that you see the connection um, uh, to abiding. So back up uh, in, in the passage. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered up into the fire and will be burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There, there are two preconditions there. There is the abiding in Christ and uh, his words abiding in you. And it's only in that context that there's the promise that if you ask, uh, it shall be done for you. And Dr. Uh, Ferguson's just brief comment on that is found on um, page uh, well I, I'm not gonna I, I know I had it marked here because <laughs> I, I wanted to refer to it but the, the, the point that's under the nourishment of the word. I'm sorry? I think it's under the section titled The Nourishment of the Word um, shortly after the beginning of that section. But in my digital version, I don't have the page numbers, so it's hard to tell you. Yes, right. Oh, yes, that's exactly it. Um, This is on page 113 under the header The Nourishment of the Word. Um, The... uh, He's talking about uh, you're clean because my word was spoken to you. In the, the second full paragraph, Jesus had already assured his disciples they were clean. But if the channels of their union with Christ are to remain clean, so that their prayer requests correspond with God's will, the disciples must continue to make room for the word of Christ to work in them. Um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So that, do you see what he's saying there? That um, it's abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us that fits us to have requests that are according to God's word and thus uh, approved of the Lord. That makes sense. Thank you, Dave. All right. Great. Any other uh, questions, comments? Well, seeing none, I thank you all for coming again. Um, I hope you're continuing to enjoy the study. Um, the uh, It does seem like a wonderfully rich uh, thing week by week, and uh, I'm looking forward to continuing with it. Um, we do have... As we go into October, let me just remind you, in case you don't have your syllabus any longer, but we will skip a class um, the, uh, there'll be no class on October 20th uh, because I have to be in Atlanta that week for a standing judicial committee meeting.
Um, so just be sure you mark that on your calendar. I'll be sending out an email to remind us of it. But just, I mean, you can begin to make plans now to have a party or something that evening. And uh, the uh... All right, uh, let me pray. Father, how uh, precious is the way you've made the world that we can look around us and see reinforced great spiritual principles in the very working of the created order. And we thank you for Jesus' wisdom and the ability to draw on that. And the wonderful way tonight we've learned so much about the Christian life or had it reinforced in our heart and mind uh, because of the imagery of the vine and the branches and the pruning and the bearing fruit and fruit that will abide. Uh, and we pray that we would be patient uh, and joyful under that process. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.